0: Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 33 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is a man who has truly worked his way from the micro stakes to crushing it at the highest levels of tournament poker, both online and live, with career tournament earnings of both of $2 million plus in both realms. He's the proud owner of a WSOP bracelet that he won in 2016. And along with his successes at the Felt, he's also the founder of one of the best poker training sites out there, Learn Pro Poker. He's considered by many to be the hardest working man in poker. And to top it all off, he's a Cards Chat ambassador. Ryan LaPlante, welcome to the Cards Chat podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me on, Robbie. I really do appreciate it. Uh, so obviously, it's been a long grind, but I've been very appreciative of the success that I've had I'm really out the gate. and it's you know it's been absolutely amazing, and I look forward to doing it for many, many, many years. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I gotta say, you know, between you and i, you you've got a
0: strong presence on Twitter. We followed each other there for a very long time, and I know we had that phone conversation in the past, but, I have to admit, I don't really know you as well as I'd like to. So I know this conversation is going to be delightful and it's been a long time coming. So um, let's start with your beginnings in poker. You're, like I said, perhaps the perfect example of a player who started at the very bottom and worked your way to the top. According to Pocket Fives, your first two online caches came back in 2008 for a little over $8.00. In a $3 tournament, and then for $1.31, I love this name, in the $1 Ferguson tournament on Full Tilt Poker. Um, so tell us about how you got started in poker, and do you have any fond memories of grinding the $3 and the $8 and the micros there?
1: I mean, definitely. Uh, so I started playing poker with friends around the moneymaker boom back when I was in like junior high school, you know, mm. maybe like, let's see here. So that would, I would have been 13 when Moneymaker won. So it was like right around that time period that, Uh you know, when we would have like weekend sleepovers and stuff, we'd be playing like Halo and poker. Uh And honestly, among my friends, I was bad. I was very bad. Like I was definitely one of the fish in the games, at least that's what I kind of remembered. And uh, I started to get a lot better once I learned about a different forum called two plus two forums. Back then they were at really at their heyday. They were really, really, really huge and growing quickly. Um, And I've, Stumbled upon it when I was like in 2007, right before I turned 18. And then I created my Poker Stars account the day I turned 18. And that's when wow. I started playing online. Wow. And I built up a handful of different bankrolls from free rolls. I would grind the free rolls and I'd get like 10, 15, 20 bucks. And then I'd grind up from anything from 10 cents all the way on up um, in, in terms of buy-ins. And I spent a decent amount of time grinding the $2 to $4 180 mans. I, I put in a decent amount of volume in those. So I spent a, a long time just grinding out those goes and stuff, um, the bigger field ones and smaller stakes tournaments. But every time I would like build up a bankroll, I would tend to bust it as, you know, or I would need to like withdraw it for living expenses, you know, that type of stuff. And because of that, I started to sell action on this site called Poker By Trade, uh, PBT. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um And I was literally selling for $1 buy in 45 mans and $2 buy in 180s and that type of stuff. And there's a and market for that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, definitely. There was. Uh, at least back then. Stake someone a for a dollar.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would like sell these packages where I'd play X number of 45 mans or X number of 90 mans or X number of 180 mans. That was like pretty common on there. Um, And then I met my first backer on there. Um, He liked how hard I was working, how much volume I was putting in, how consistently I was doing. Um, And I got my first full-time backer. And he first started me on like a $3 average buy-in and I just steadily moved my way up for him. Um, And during that time period, um, the first year of me grinding online, I was going to college. Uh And (laughs) that year that I was going to college, I spent it almost entirely grinding online And then on weekends, um, some friends and stuff that I met there, we started a poker club where we had these long leagues, uh, with like a semester long league where you'd get points for based off of where you finish. And then we'd have a end of, you know, end of semester, uh, championship and stuff. And we had like, i will say we had like 15 to 20 people that were in the league. Um, and so essentially when I wasn't playing online poker, I was playing live poker and hanging out with friends. Um, and then uh, I was only in college for a year. And the year after college, I was still like pretty broke, just barely scraping by, still playing, micro was the low stakes. And I was working part-time um, and I, I essentially, I lived like pretty close to college campus and my laptop had broken. So I didn't have a computer at home. So what I was doing is I was working 30 to 40 hours a week at Subway. And then I would walk a mile and a half or so to college to use their computers since my old student login still worked, and then I would download Poker Stars and Full Tilt, and I'd be playing at the tables, uh, playing it on the computers there. And then when I was done, I would walk back uh, to my apartment. So I was walking three miles a day just to be able to grind, and then working on top of that, thirty to forty hours a week. And I would say I was I was probably playing online forty to sixty hours a week. Did you take the programs off? Did you remove the download? Oh, every time you logged out, it Uh completely wiped whatever session you were doing. So I'd have to reinstall it every single time. (laughs) And that's how I was putting in volume. And then I had a day where I won like two different $11 dollars buy tournaments. Like one was a reg speed, one was a turbo. They finished within like 30 minutes of each other. Uh And I cashed for like four or five grand or something like that. Wow. Which isn't a lot, but it meant the world to me because yeah. I had enough money where I could buy a laptop that I could use to grind at home. Uh-huh. So I didn't have to make that walk every day again. So I bought a laptop, I quit my job at Subway, and I just started grinding full time. So With a $5,000 bankroll? Well, with less than that, because, you know, half went to my backer, plus I'd been a little makeup. So it was like wow. a couple of grand. But that was all I really needed to start playing online full time. So hmm. I knew if I could just stay at home and play instead of just like, splitting my time between working and this walk and th- all the installs and everything else that I could just grind online full time. And I just essentially started putting in hundred plus hour weeks every single week. Wow. And that's how I started grinding up. And you can, if you ever shark scope me, you can really see this, the progression I made from extru- from free rolls on micro stakes to low stakes, yeah. mid, stakes uh, mid to high stakes. And right away you were
0: telling yourself, I'm going to do this for a living and depend yep. on poker for my income.
1: Yep. And like, I kind of knew that that's what I was going to do. Essentially, once I just started playing online in college, I knew that that's what I wanted to do was just grind online full time or exactly. just play poker in general full time. Right. You know, in fact, when I was, <laughs> obviously going back to when I was in like junior high and stuff, and I was like mowing lawns and working for my parents and, and, and everything, I would be like daydreaming of like playing at the world series and like making a final table and that type of stuff. We all so did. Me, and yeah,
0: lots of us still do.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, I've, you know, had this dream of doing yeah. what I do right now, mm. um, essentially since I was like 13 years old That's and incredible. still be doing it. It's pretty amazing.
0: I love it. Fantastic. Um, so we know that you're a very accomplished Hold'em and PLO player, but there are also, this one was intriguing to me, some horse results back then. I yeah. saw a sixth place in an $11 horse turning for $101. Uh, I'm a big mixed game fan. So I'm just wondering, did you start learning the mixed games early? What sparked your interest in them? And and how often do you still play mixed games?
1: So there was this different staking site that had broken off from Poker by Trade. I'm blanking right now on the name of it. I don't know who I am. Um, But uh, a. it was essentially the same type of thing, but it was a much smaller, more personal community. Um, There's maybe only 30 or so active members. One of the active members actually was uh, Paul G's. Oh, and um, wow, uh, it's, it's Paul it's Volpe, guy, right? Sorry, yeah, Paul yeah, Volpe. Mm-hmm. Paul G's was his online screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then there's also a guy on there pretty often called AJB444. Um, and AJB was like the best PLO8 single grinder. He, you know, was top of the leaderboards for the higher stakes stuff. And I started learning PLO8 from him. Mm-hmm. And then I also just started playing mixed games pretty much right away, too. So yeah, I've kind of always been a dabbler in like the non non-post-flop games, but in the post-flop games, I've always really loved Hold on PLO and Paloma Omaha Hilo. Um, And I would say for longest time, and I would say that this is still true, that Paloma Omaha Hilo is probably my favorite game in terms of just what I enjoy playing the most. You predicted my next question, because I know it says that on Pocket Fives, wondering if that needs to be updated, if PLO 8
0: is still your favorite game. Um, What is it that you like about that game so much?
1: I like how complex and in-depth that it is. And I also just like how, honestly, that there aren't that many players that can play it at an incredibly high level, especially for tournaments, mm-hmm. just because as a tournament format, it is very, very, very unique. It plays very differently than what it does in, mm-hmm. in cash games, like wildly differently. Same with uh, PLO as well. Like, that's also why I enjoy PLO tournaments so well, especially with the um, mm-hmm. an Annie. Without Annie, eh. But with an Annie, PLO tournaments are just absolutely amazing. Gotcha. And uh, the high-low is just, I, especially in like, in, in pot limit and no limit, the high-low variant is, it just, it creates a, a level of depth that makes playing the game at an incredibly high level very difficult. It, it, it allows mm-hmm. for a lot more creativity and decisions. Mm-hmm. And if you have just like a really good feel for the situation and your opponent, you have a lot more options in terms of what can be very viable and i just really enjoy that about the the game type also enjoy that it's not really as solved even now right. um I'm, i know there are like limit 08 calculators but i don't think there's like a appeal 08 solver that's out at least as far as i know mm-hmm. and that to me also is very appealing in that you know there aren't going to be that many people that played at an incredibly high level for tournaments right. there's just like a, a a pretty good crew of like 20 to 30 people ballpark all are incredibly, incredibly good at the game, and it's always great to battle versus those people in scoops and W coops and at the WSOP and the 10K champ. Right, but you want
0: them at the final table, not like uh, you know hundreds yeah. of them in yes. level one or anything. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, I went, at what point did you sort of say to yourself, "Like, we we see how you started with you know less than 5K, still grinding yeah. the micros." At what point did you say, "Okay, it's time for me to slowly move up stakes"? And, you know, what was it that's kind of told you, okay, I'm, I'm beating this consistently. I can move up comfortably.
1: So really the thing that helped me do it were my backers. Um, oh, okay. so I was first backed by this guy, by the name of Ollie, Ollie Crawford. Um, and he had backed me uh, that like I, once I was done at poker by trade, essentially, he had started backing me full uh full t- Oh, Oh, uh, the other forums was part time poker. So, part time poker was the bigger ah, forum, okay. poker yeah. by trade was a smaller forum. Yeah. So, part time poker is when I first started selling action. Then, poker by trade was a smaller forum, a smaller community that I really got to know AGB better and got to know Ollie better. Um, and so, Ollie, he had started backing me and he'd wanted to move me up. So, just as I got good, consistent results, he'd steadily moved me up. And then, um, through either indirectly through him, um, or through like poker by trade, I met backer that I had for a pretty long time by the name of Baza 88, Australian okay. poker pro. And um meeting him, he really helped me move start to move up through the ranks. Um, he had a much bigger working bank role, he backed a bunch of other people. Um, he would do coaching. Um, they would hire on coaches and stuff as well. So really I was just taken under Baza's wing for a while. So and they told you when,
0: it's time to take a shot?
1: Yeah, exactly. They okay. they started moving me up. He's just had the bigger bank rule and could afford to back me a lot more and uh then black friday hit ah, and the crazy thing was it's it like is, you
0: got my script that was that's my next question too go yeah. ahead <laughs>
1: so the the really silly thing was is leading up to black friday i've been playing the biggest games i would ever played in also like full tilt at that point was had all those multi-entry tournaments and stuff yep. and everything was like really going really big leading up to black friday yeah and you just. I was just like consistently getting these deep runs and just not closing out so i was getting kind of buried in makeup so in order to grind out a makeup what i decided to do is i would switch to a slightly later night grind and i would skip okay. the big fields and i'd play most of mostly smaller fields interesting and that month leading up to black friday i made like 30 grand or something like that because my best month ever to an absurd degree and it, was, it wasn't with the big score. It was just like small, right. consistent scores. It's just I was playing small fields and playing really soft fields. So I just had the a hard way. And yeah. <laughs> into it. yeah. And then Black Friday hit. Yeah. And, you know, that, that really threw a big wrench into the thing. Because when Black Friday hit, it hit three weeks before I turned 21. And at the time, I was living in uh, just north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, staying with family. I would moved out there to be closer to an X um, broken up with the ex and then I was grinding there. Um, and then I'd met my current fiance, um, a little bit before that. So we met six months before black Friday. So I was grinding online. And then when black Friday hit, I didn't know what I was going to do because my original plan was to grind online through a chunk of the summer and then go play my first world series, go out like, you know, a week or two before the main, and then play a handful of side events and play the main event. Mm -hmm. And when, Black Friday hit. I didn't know what I was going to do at all because, to me, playing the series and stuff was kind of reliant on me grinding full time and being back and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Instead, uh, a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, while we might not have bed space, we'll at least have like cot space or a spare bed in the hotel. Uh, yeah. If you want, you're welcome to stay with us and do so for pretty cheap. Okay. Uh, we can help you sell a package, and you can just you know grind the full summer out here." I'm like, "Okay, why? Yeah, not, for sure. <laughs>
0: that's my- pretty good." <laughs>
1: Uh, so I the literal the literal second I turned 21, which in Wisconsin is 21 plus, I was waiting at the Potawatomi doors to walk in so I could start playing live cash. Wow, so like the, midnight, uh, like 12:01. Yeah, literally wow. 12:00. I oh walked God. in the doors at in midnight to start playing live because wow. I wanted to get in live experience. You know, before then, if you look at my Hendon, I didn't really have any live results. And I right. played only a little bit of low stakes mix in like $2, oh, $2 $4 limit hold them or, or 3 dollars six, three, six, oh, with a kill. Like that was the yeah, live experience yeah. I had leading up to that. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that I had good live experience leading up to my first World Series. And I had a couple of weeks to prepare. So I put in the, I just put in a ton of hours of playing mostly mixture of one, two, and two, five, no depending on just what I felt like playing at the time and what looked good. And then I played my first World Series. And the first World Series was, it went very, very, very poorly until it didn't. And like I, the first two weeks, I just bricked like 18 bullets straight or 17 bullets straight or something like that. Gosh, that t- and, takes the luster off. Hey, first yeah, time, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Back to reality and I was quick. like, you know, obviously I was pretty disappointed and starting to get a little dejected. Um, but, you know, being at the Rio and being at the World Series was just such a wonderful thing to be able to meet a bunch of people that I'd always idolized. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was getting pictures with people and doing all that kind of, of stuff. Um, had the sign, this pink hat that he used to wear all the time. Hi, Daniel. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I got a min cash in. And then the very next event, I got my first final table. And right. that first final table experience was just, so absolutely incredible. As you can imagine, a 21-year-old, first World Series, first FT. And it was such a crazy ride, too, because when we went into the final, the unofficial final 10, it right. was like nine out of 10. By the time we got nine-handed, I was either second in chips or chip lead. Like incredible. Very wow. And first place was like 450, 500K. It was big, really big field, 1,500, a lot up top. And I ended up taking eighth. After being like one out of nine, I took eighth place for way, way, obviously way, way, way less. And, you know, it was still, even though I had like a great shot at winning a lot and winning a bracelet and doing all that type of stuff, taking eighth place was probably one of the best things for me. Okay. It really was like, because like, if I'd had like a 450K score, I would have pocketed a decent amount of money. I would have had probably a six figure bankroll at 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was a pretty immature 21 year old. Um, and obviously didn't have really a lot of life experience or anything like that. Um, and I, back then I definitely had major tilt issues and everything else. So the likelihood that I could have punted off that bankroll and done so in a way that would have, you know, kind of ruined the game and industry for me mm. was certainly above non-zero. Right? Right. But having <laughs> a good enough result where I could go, Hey, I can compete. I can do this stuff. And I really enjoy doing it. That kind of set me up for going forward. Um, so right after, right after that score, uh, Baza and I kind of decided to part ways not long after, um, were you happy about that? Huh? Were you happy about that? So what ended up as far as having a backer or
0: not, that's what I mean.
1: Yeah. So it, it ended up being, uh, I was grinding online and, um, what ended up happening is, so I used that score to, I guess I got a little ahead of myself. I used that score to justify to my, boyfriend then now fiance right that hey we should give a try where we go up to canada for 6 months and i grind online okay and so then we spent uh you know we'd only been together you know, less than a year at that point. And when we left for Canada, we left in like November or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we'd been together just over a year. And I Winter just, in
0: Canada. Ooh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, Toronto is very mild winters. Very okay. good. Oh, okay there, that part one of, of the Canada. most mild winters they've <laughs> ever had. It was amazing. Like right. it was gr- really, compared to Minnesota, it was actually very nice weather. Okay. Right. Um, I, forgot, I
0: forgot you're from Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: The great cold North. So it's yeah. actually more mild weather than Minnesota. Okay where I was at in Minnesota, we weren't up against a lake. So right. it's definitely a lot colder and we still got a lot of snow. So Toronto is definitely a lot more mild. So we, I convinced him you know, that we'd move up to, uh, to Toronto so I could grind online. I was still being backed by Baza then. I was playing live cash, I think partially back where I was buying some and he was buying some. And then um, we went up to Toronto, that would have been in November. And then I just went on this really bad long downswing. Um, I was like, I guess, like, I honestly, after that FT, maybe I moved up a little too quickly. That are just the games got a lot tougher, and I was playing in these bigger fields. Mm-hmm. And instead of like really grinding out small fields and stuff, I was kind of like trying to make things happen, and it just it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And honestly, one of the main things that ended up helping me is, and you can actually see the exact date that I made the change is, I just stopped watching all ins. I started stacking my tables on top of each other, and I just stopped watching des- uh, decisions and all ins and stuff. I was just focusing on making good decisions and that really eased the pressure off of me. And I was just, I just wasn't tilting at all. I wasn't feeling frustrated at all during sessions. What made you think to do that? Did someone advise you or? I could definitely tell that I was just like, I was tilting a lot and I was tilting really hard and it was just, Mm -hmm. I could tell how frustrated I was during sessions. And that was, it was just, it was just definitely causing issues. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to change something and Stacking the tables just made sense to me because then I just wouldn't be watching all in. Right. It just took off a lot of pressure on me. Hmm. And when that happened, then like you can literally see the exact day that I do it. Cause my graph just stops going straight down, <laughs> go down and then goes straight back up. That's so cool. And you know, being able to change that mindset and grind in a much more focused, clear headed way and then starting to get consistent results, it really helped with my confidence level and things went through the roof. And then once I cleared, that's when Baza dropped me. Okay. Got and um, he dropped me, honestly, it was mostly just because he didn't want to deal with me traveling in and out of the US and, you know, all this other stuff in terms of just how difficult it would be to back an, an online grinder from the US. Sure. It just makes a lot of sense. So instead I ended up getting back by, um, at the time I was doing coaching. So essentially I started doing coaching once I started consistently beating games. So okay. essentially when I was like 19 years old, I would coach people to beat the games that I was just beating previously. And then as I got older and older and got better and better and got was playing higher and higher stakes, I would do more and more coaching. And the way that I, I met uh, my next backer, Dirty Brazil, uh, Noah Valancourt, um, was I was coaching one of his horses, and they got a lot better and started having consistent results. And I was still backed by Baza. And then I coached another one of his horses and kind of the same type of thing happened. Mm-hmm. And then when Baza dropped me, I was like, hey, are you, would you be interested in backing <laughs> right, me? Right. Because Noah's also, he's uh he's also an American, or wait, no, he's a Canadian. Okay. Um, uh, he lives up in, uh, or at least did live up in Vancouver. And um, when, uh like when he said yes like we essentially built out game plans what i would be doing so then i went down for my second world series put up some pretty good results um and then can use that to convince him and my fiance that'd be good for us to go down to mexico so then we spent so hold up we're going to stop
0: you there on the second world series because i got a question about that Yep. so you play the second world series you're playing a bunch of bracelet events you know sounds good you did make a couple caches And then I see a very interesting one hundredth place finish that you had in a two hundred thirty-five dollar daily deep stack for four hundred seventy-three dollars. What are you doing playing a two hundred (laughs) thirty-five dollar daily deep stack, right?
1: (laughs) So those daily deep stacks would all—they would run like every day, and they would start at like two p.m. Mm -hmm. right around there. And you can usually you could register them until around five-ish. I want to say. Uh-huh. Um, and they were turbos they were just one day turbos okay and you know when a one day turbo gets 50k up top and you bust at you know you bust in whatever 1500 freeze out mm-hmm. and you see this turbo that's going to get you know 50k for first it's going to be really soft of course you're just going to hop in it okay. so my first honestly my first three summers i spent a lot of time going back and forth between the uh, Venetian, the Rio, um, the Wynn, just any place I was running series, Planet Hollywood. And I would also, if like, if the other stuff had like events that would overlap with WCP events that I planned to play, mm-hmm. then I would usually just stay at the Rio and play the 235 deep stacks and mm-hmm. singos, mm-hmm. And that would often be the case because usually there'd be like, you know, there's always these big multi-flight things that run during the summer. And yeah. I didn't ever want to skip a WSOP event that I was that I sold for. I just right. never wanted it to even be a thing ever. So I mostly spent a decent amount of time at the Rio and then I'd play things like the 235s and the same goes. And, and those place. you had
0: all of yourself in, like the smaller events?
1: Um, usually for those, uh, it would be part of whatever backing deal I was on. Okay. So okay. my second WSOP, I would assume my backer, Noah, he probably had everything that I, that I wasn't selling to. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so that summer went pretty okay. I had another FT, another like, okay cash, but like not quite getting there. And, um, when we went down to Mexico, uh, it was like essentially because I had such consistent results and I was really starting to do very well. Um, and he really liked where my game was at. Um, I played a really big W schedule by far Mm -hmm. the biggest, schedule i've ever played to its absurd degree and i just had deep brick after deep brick and after deep brick and got mm. super buried in makeup and he had pretty much the same thing happen to him well what does that do to you
0: as a player plan. i mean you've done so much playing and all of a sudden you just hit this
1: wall i mean honestly it was less soul destroying than the first big downswing that i had up in canada mm. the one that i had up in canada it was like I was trying to prove that I could still make this happen, even though Uh it was a completely different environment. You know, they're not being online poker in the US obviously just changed everything. It was like, you know, really, really, really big change. And then to take on this responsibility of taking care of us, of moving us up to Toronto, you know, moving my fiance essentially away from his home for the first real time. Mm. Um, He'd gone to college for a year, but, you know, this was the first time truly moving away. And then doing it in another city, in another country. Sure. And then for an extended time period, I would all this pressure on myself to do well. And that's probably why it went pretty poorly at first. Gotcha. Um, so going down to Mexico, even though I was playing a lot higher stakes, I had a lot less pressure on myself to perform since, you know, we were already doing a lot better. Um, and even if it went poorly, I knew that things would be, you know, fine. But I got super buried in makeup there. And a lot of his other horses did all at the same time. And he ended up just backing out of of the staking industry. Um, And that's when I switched to a different backer. Um, I ended up buying out of my makeup um, for percentage on the dollar, which is pretty typical to do with, especially if you're leaving the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually what a backer will do is they'll either sell the makeup or lose the makeup. And if they sell the makeup, if they sell the makeup, Usually, you can sell it for anywhere from, back then, anything from 10 to 30% of the dollar would be pretty typical. I just offered him a percent. He agreed. And then I got a new backing deal with this, um, uh, with uh, I'm Oil Staking. Um, They're one of the biggest USA facing backers. Uh, They were back then. Um, And I started coaching their guys and then also being backed by them. And when that happened, this is when we started to live in Vegas part time. We're living in Vegas between two to four months of the year. And then we were spending most of the rest of our time up in uh, Midwest with family. Is and this 2013? Yeah, 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. that time frame, Um, That's when we were spending a decent amount more time. I was playing a lot more live. Um, and then I met my current backers. And I've been with my current backers for essentially since... I want to say since the end of 2014. So I've been with them for almost seven years now. And the reason why I've been with them for so long is because they just give me a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. And you'd say, Hey, Ryan, why are you back? You've had such good results and all these other things. Yeah, took the words out of my mouth. (laughs) Exactly. Having financial security is just one of the nicest things to have. It's just, it's it's been really wonderful. And um so, I won my bracelet for them in 2016. So, 2015 was like the first summer I was backed uh, back by them. I had final table to 3K. Like, essentially, each year that I'd been with them was my best year ever, with the only exception of COVID year. That was like the only time I had a year that wasn't my best year ever. So, and, I, I got to put
0: it on a scale, though. So, you say, like, financial security is obviously very important. You know, of course, I mean, everyone, yep. no matter poker and not poker, financial security yep. is huge. But you said, you know, you see year after year, you keep having having your best year ever, right? More mm-hmm. successful. Yep. Do you ever sort of say to yourself, man, you know, if I had all of myself, I'd have a lot more no.
1: money. No? Because like the thing is, is part of how I was able to play everything is I would have them take a chunk of stuff. And then I would sell a chunk to outside investors. And then I would usually have a, a piece of either the markup or I'd buy extra on top of that, depending on how well we were doing. Huh. So knowing that I could just grind and make money consistently, no matter how I was doing, it's just, it's such a big, you know, such a big weight off your shoulders. Um, and then, so 2016, I, would you know, winning my bracelet and stuff, sure. I had a pretty good financial year, 2017 and 18, same as well. I just kept consistently doing really well. But usually, when I would have some of my bigger scores, I'd usually be a little bit buried in makeup and have sold some. So while I was consistently getting more and more money and stuff, um, I was then also using that money to like buy a house, to you know, have cars and vehicles, take vacations, do that kind of stuff. So it's normal. I was was always having. Yeah, exactly. So I was always having to make the decision of, I can eat like I would have the score. I'd clear makeup. I'd have a decent sized bankroll, and then I'd always have to make the decision of do I go on my own and really start trying to grind things out and just sell action? Mm -hmm. Or do we use this money to invest in our lives, you know, to take vacations, to get our first house, like our own rented place. Like I think our first score was we got our own place. We'd been renting a room from friends. And then, so instead of renting a room, we, you know, got a lease and had our own house and bought furniture. So then it was, oh, okay, I'll just stay back so I don't have to worry for the next six months or you know time frame If I can just consistently pay my bills, uh-huh. never have to worry about it, that makes the grind much easier. And lot, then I think them, uh, my, you know? yeah, yeah. And then like my second real big score was like that 2017 summer where I just like really went off that summer. Um, I wanna say that was the summer that I set a record for most caches um, and then Rul uh outdid me by caching he cashed in both the main event and little one for one drop at the exact same time. Uh That was the only way he could pass me. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So I think I had 19 caches, but I also had like a bunch of other final, uh, I chopped the planet Hollywood 600 for like 80. I chopped the, $1,600 a 1600 at the win for a buck 60, um, and then I had a second at the World Series as well for another 160. So I had a very good summer.
0: And is that end, is that what probably- you take the most pride in? Like the that that, that cashing statistic, or more? My bracelet is the highlight. Like what what are you sort of say holds um, more value?
1: I would definitely say my bracelet's the highlight. Um, okay, I mean it was something that I wanted so bad for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, And honestly, winning it was exactly how I imagined it. It was just such a life-affirming moment. I still um, remember
0: your your speech and how, I think it was Linda Johnson, right, gave
1: you the yeah. Also, there was like that as well attached to it, which just made it such a personal thing as Mm -hmm. well beyond just, you know, obviously every poker player has, you know, this desire and dream to win a bracelet and have that success and stuff. Mm -hmm. But having it coincide with the pulse shooting... Um, just really made it a lot more personal of, of, of a thing. And, you know, obviously I can still think back to both the bracelet and the speech as these things that, you know, I will keep with me for the rest of my life. And yeah, there's just nothing that's really going to beat that really. I mean, maybe if I win a second, maybe that'll feel different in that a lot of crumb bombs have one. I mean, Hey, even (laughs) I've got one, but like, I don't have one, right? (laughs) <laughs> uh uh the list of people that have two is very small. And list of people that have three is tiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously I'm like I really want to have a second and a third and sure. you know, fourth and all that stuff. But it's just like that first will just always be one of the defining moments of my life for me Amazing. personally. Amazing. Um so you know. In 2017, we had a really good year. And at, at, at the end of that summer and stuff, we had to make the decision of what are we really going to do in terms of, like, what do we want to have and what do we wanna do? And at that point, that's when we started discussing buying a house. So at that point, you know, we had to make this decision of, do I take this bankroll and grind on my own and you know really build up? Or do we use this money to invest in ourselves and invest uh-huh. in our future? Right. And, uh, as a couple and, you know, as a family and all that type of stuff. It's a pivotal moment for sure. Yeah, exactly. And we just made the decision to instead to look for a house and to buy a place. And we found a place that we absolutely loved. um, And that's what we ended up doing with it. And when we made that decision, obviously, when we're putting down that amount of money, plus everything else that goes with home purchasing, you know, I no longer have the role to really properly go on my own. Um, I would made a post somewhat recently on Twitter about, um, you know, about things to do in terms of playing live and, you know, things to be careful of and just general yeah. tips and that. Type it's a of great design. thread. Yeah. It was like
0: yeah, uh, 10 part thread, something like that, or it was, yeah, it was, something, it was
1: something like, and, um, the, the main advice that I gave, and this is advice that I definitely stand by is that if you're going to be playing live tournaments, mostly full-time, you need at least a hundred buy-ins. And if you're going to be playing full-time, you need at least 200 uh, buy-ins as well as a year's living expenses saved up. And the reason why you need that is so let's say you're playing like mostly part-time. While playing mostly part-time losing 100 buy-ins isn't really going to be a thing since you're probably not going to play more than 100 entries in a year. Yeah. What can happen realistically speaking is losing 30 or 40. Like that is like if if you play 60 entries in a year, if you lose 40 of them that is completely and totally normal. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously this is for average buy as well. So if you play mostly 600s to 1600s then you run a 1k average buy-in. You know, losing 40K over, you know, 70K and buy, it's going to be, it's just, it's going to happen. It's going to be pretty normal. If you don't have a final table finish, that's just, it's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then when you're playing full time, you know, if you're playing 200 or more entries in a year and uh, losing a hundred entries, it's just, it's going to be a pretty normal thing. And, you know, you need to be able to go on that type of downswing and still be financially fine and still right. have a proper playing bankroll. And obviously, there's lots of different ways to make this work a lot easier. So let's say, you know, let's say you want to play mostly 1Ks live. You don't need a 200K bankroll. What you need is to be able to sell action to others so your own personal risk that you can afford whatever percentage of that that you have. And also on top of that, when you're selling, you're also having that little free roll can give you a nice little ROI cushion that can give you more consistent results. So that'll make playing professionally a lot more tenable. And if you're playing online with how much tougher the games are, how big the average field sizes are, unless you're using incredibly careful game selection or playing incredibly soft sites, you're going to need at least 500 average buy to play full-time. But really, you should probably have a 1,000. Um, if you want to look at this stuff yourself, there is a website called primedope.com. They have a tournament variance calculator. If you just search tournament variance calculator, play around with it. Um, and obviously, live ROIs are very, very high but they're very high for established professionals that know what to look for and all those other things. Mm -hmm. And when you're first starting to play things, you don't know what your ROI is. So if you're assuming you're just going to be this crusher and you're playing with 50 binds and, you know, and you're trying to make it full time, you're mostly going to go broke. It's just, Mm -hmm. that's like most, you don't hear all the stories of people going broke, but it's a lot of people that try to shot take too hard, too quickly and try to move up too fast. And You know, throughout the length of my career, I've had so many friends that would build up these bankrolls and bust them over and over and over and over. And so, so, so many friends that have done that. And I just didn't really want to go through that struggle myself. And I also just wanted to be able to provide and have financial security. So at this point, the only reason, uh, more recently, the only reason why I've been back, hey, I've just been to makeup for the last little while. But B, I want to be able to play a lot of higher minds. You know, it's it's sure. just something I really enjoy doing is playing you know three Ks and higher live, and the way that I can do that and do so with complete financial security, as well as you know while I do have money coming in from Learn Pro Poker and from our uh, training app Range Trainer Pro, I also want to use that money to invest in the businesses. You know, I don't want to just be pocketing that money. I want to take that money and invest in marketing and advertising, and you know, hire on more people and pay our employees better and do things like that where I'm not just you know, taking this money and investing it, you know, putting it into a house or you know sure. that type of stuff. We already have the stuff that we want to be comfortable, mm-hmm. and we can travel and do those types of things that we want to do. So mm-hmm. I want to instead use that money to invest in my companies and invest in their long term health and growth and that type of stuff. Makes so- sense. Well, this there are is a, a lot of oh, God, so, no, so, oh. see, you know, like now that it's funny because like on the one hand, you're sort of with that, you
0: know, what you've what you've done the last couple of minutes, you've reflected on your own experience. Mm-hmm. But in addition, you know, if someone sort of just happened to tune in, then they're like, oh, OK, he's he's teaching, he's instructing. So it's kind of like a right. good segue now to sort of talk a little bit you know not just the player Ryan Leplant but also uh Learn founder of Learn Poke Poker uh poker and the poker coach line Ryan Leplant so um what you know you said you kind of started tra- training people and coaching already when you were 19 years old yeah. right so what made yeah. you sort of decide okay I you know okay I feel comfortable enough to teach but
1: why did you want to do it so poker is a very selfish game and industry. It's a very dog-eat-dog type of world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, when you're with like a backing stable and stuff, there's a little bit more of a community. And then of course, like in the game itself, you know, you meet friends and you surround yourself with, with other people and stuff and you kind of have excuse me, this camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And that definitely makes it feel a lot less, you know, of a lonely grind, so to speak. But, you know, it doesn't, while it can be rewarding just being successful and, and having good results and that type of stuff, um, I knew that doing something like coaching would be rewarding in its own right. And then on top of that, it could bring in some income as well. Mm. So at first I was doing it more just to, you know, help people out and mm-hmm. to just I enjoy teaching. Um, honestly, if I wasn't a poker pro, there would be a decent chance that I'd probably be teaching of some kind. Okay. Um, and just because I just I've always enjoyed doing it. It's just something that also like one of the nice things for poker as well is poker being such a complex and in-depth game that teaching others can really help out your own understanding of it to a really big degree. It can really help out a lot. And I just like kind of stumbled into that, that like, mm. you know, I'd be coaching someone and they'd ask me a question. And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd like try to like stumble into the answer. I'm like, maybe it's because of this or maybe it's because of that. Uh-huh. You know, I would say it's, you know, for these different reasons, but I'm not 100% sure. But I guess that bothered and, you. Like, I want to know the answer. Right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'd man. be like, okay, why is this the answer? And then I'd, uh-huh. you know, go to my backers, go to my coach, go to the forums and ask around and try to figure things out. Um, and that's kind of how I've always approached coaching and stuff as well is I'm a very straight to the point and kind of blunt coach and that I'll just be like, yep, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. This is how I think about it. This is my approach. Um, if you want more proof, this is like the math behind it, how right. I see it, you know, this is what the range looks theoretically, this is why we're adjusting these ways gotcha. and you know, when they do ask me a question that I don't really know, or if I run to a spot that I'm on of, I'm just like, I'm not really sure. I think it's, we could do this for this reason. We can do this for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, we can look it up later and we go right. over it and try to figure it out. Well, that honesty um, and straightforwardness is, is yeah, so Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being that kind of blunt, it helps my students, but also it really just helps me reaffirm what I'm confident about and what I know and don't know. Sure. And anytime I'm confident about a situation, that's just a, a learning point for me as well. And that cool. just really, really helps out my cool. personal game. So so, so I know, wait, I know the, the, the landscape, the poker training landscape. It's very crowded
0: these days. Everyone wants to learn. Everyone wants to get better. So what is it that sets Learn Pro Poker apart from all the other options out there?
1: So the way that we created LPP, the reason why it exists right now is a buddy of mine, he has some chess training sites. And he'd hit me up in like 2015. Like, hey, Ryan, I'm starting these chess training sites. We should do a poker one." Um, and I probably, I actually met my business partner, I'm pretty sure probably the night I turned 21 or that week, because I met him at Potawatomi playing cash. And at the time- so he, he was, was waiting small, right behind
0: you at 12 a.m. He,
1: no, uh, he was a little <laughs> bit older than me, I'm but he, like, he would just grind all the time there. Uh-huh. So, um, and you know, he had some other businesses and stuff as well, but he'd wanted to get into chess training since he's a really big chess fan. Sure. Um, so he starts those chess training sites, they go really well. And then essentially every year after that, he would hit me up, he'd say, hey Ryan, when are we doing this training site? Hey, Ryan, when are we doing this training site? So wow. I my bracelet is he like, Hey Ryan, when are we doing this training site? <laughs> and over that, like three, four year stretch where every time he kept hitting me up first, I worked with Jonathan little at flip the turn. then I worked with card runners and then I worked with run at once. Um, and after I worked with run at once, I felt a lot more confident and comfortable in terms of what I could offer as a coach in terms of making videos and doing that type of stuff. And if I enjoyed it enough to want to do it and on top of that, also the solvers came out. Munker right. and Pio each came out around uh, end of 2017, early 2018, somewhere in that time frame. Mm-hmm. And when they came out, uh, my backers got really into it because uh, the main mm-hmm. guys that back me, they're called Team 651. They're one of the largest go stables. And they have you know, tons and tons of heads up and spin and go horses and that type of stuff. And the main backer, Jacksack99, is essentially the best heads up piper single player in the world, um, one of the top few. And so they got into the solver stuff right away and they started studying them and grinding them really hard and knowing that I could get access to actual modern up-to-date theory from some of the better minds in the game that made me feel a lot more confident, kind of going on my own and doing this. So when we started it, it was more about like, when I started working on it just to decide whether I should, I tried to figure out what I thought was missing in the industry. And at the time, there no site really had a structured approach to learning Mm. right at once didn't have their learning paths yet there really wasn't a structured way to go about a step-by-step process to improve your game Mm -hmm. and these sites were usually really cumbersome had these big databases and if you didn't really understand the training sites or know what to look for or how to look for it you're just going to be lost there's this big learning curve even to start learning Mm -hmm. and you know, that I saw as a really big issue. On top of that, some of the uh, uh, companies that existed at the time and still exist now, of course, offered these like big packages that would be really structured, but Mm -hmm. they'd be very expensive. And then on top of that, didn't really have some of the best editing, They would have these two hour long, you know, theory videos, instead of short to the point, easy (laughs) to digest content. Okay, so Seeing that that was an issue, that's why I created LPP, because I wanted to create something that was simple, straightforward, structured, and affordable, that someone can just hop in, you know, sign up for a month, go through whatever content they want to learn, unsub, come back six months later, see a bunch of new content, and then go back and, and re-go through that process. That way, you don't need to spend a ton of money on the structured content that's easy to access and use. Um, obviously, our one downside to some degree is that I'm the only coach but I'm not the only mind behind creating the content. Okay. Um, usually if there's something that I'm uncertain about, I'll hire on top level coaches that either have access to the type of solvers or databases or whatever I need to get the data that I want access to, or have the math backgrounds as well to create the, um, essentially they'll help me create the back end of the video and then mm-hmm. I'll create the front end of the content. Uh-huh. Um, Interesting. So for like our post-flop content, that was helped, that was made in part by michael acevedo okay. he helped me do all the background for it gto um, so poker in, right on, on yeah, uh, Twitter, exactly. right? so in terms of growing the site and content i'm trying my best to make sure that we're staying on top of things from a theory standpoint mm-hmm. but since a lot of our players aren't really the mid to high stakes online players are more low to mid stakes or mid to high stakes live which Those games are just way different than the mid to high stakes online. Mm -hmm. I'm focused on first teaching the theory and really bite sized, you know, just really easy to digest, short to the point videos Mm -hmm. that are very visually oriented. And then using that theory and going, okay, now that you know this theory, this is how I personally am using the theory in these real world games to make adjustments to my opponents and focus on making the most money that I can. Gotcha. These are the factors I'm looking for. Uh-huh. So first, we teach the theory, then we teach how I personally apply the theory and how I'm using it to exploit my opponents. Okay,
0: so you talk about also like, you know, uh, access to the solvers, access yeah. to the ranges. That kind of ties in a little neatly to this Range Trainer Pro aspect. Right, exactly. You know, I've spoken with uh, you know, I guess our, our, our mutual buddy K. L. Cleeton, Yeah, I know he's very involved yes. in creating that. So how does that sort of um, dovetail into your your training product?
1: so in terms of so learn pro poker is more about hey this is a theory this is how i personally walking you through the theory but and while we give you all the theory it's not like we don't really give you access to charts or anything like that Mm -hmm. range trainer pro is about those who want to study off on their own and to really really nail down ranges and and stuff like that that's what range trainer pro is all about and we're trying to make it as easy to use and quick to use as possible so if you want to like quickly go over a hundred pre-flop spots, you can do it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. If you want to see what a spot is supposed to look like? Theoretically, we essentially have all of pre-flop solved, um, at least up to hundred big blinds, mm-hmm. like 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, 60, 80, 100 for raise first in, versus raise first in, three bet, versus three bet, four bet, versus four bet, um, versus limps, jams, all that stuff. Gotcha. Um, and we're in the process of adding a lot more to it, a lot, lot, lot more to it. And You know, that's all about just like for those that just want the data and just want the information, you can just do it that way. And we're the cheapest on the market. And what we offer is we offer essentially the same ranges as everyone else. Um, We built everything out ourselves, but everything is like very in line with what people consider to be some of the best apps made by some of the best names out there. Our ranges are right in line, but we're cheaper. Yep. And that's it's all what selling point. Yeah. That's what I've always been about for LPP and for Range Trainer Pro is there's no reason why top level theory and training needs to be incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. The reason why a lot of this stuff was expensive in the past was because building out these databases was very, very difficult, very time consuming, very expensive, very data intensive. And then of course, building everything out else out that goes with everything. That's why I like two years ago, if you wanted to buy access to the database that we have in RTP, Mm -hmm. it would probably cost you between six to 12 grand to to buy the charts for Doing it through like range converter or Monker guy, Mm -hmm. it'd be like one of the main spots would be like one to 3K. And then some of the more in-depth spots would be more expensive and that's just for pre-flop. That's a prohibitively
0: large expense to lay out. Yeah, exactly.
1: And then post-flop is way more expensive than that and is still very expensive. Um, it's gotten a lot cheaper with some of the products out there, but it's going to get better. Um, and like a lot of this content, it, yes, it's very expensive to make, but once you have most of it done, the ongoing cost really isn't that bad. So we realize that you can see the return yeah, on the investment. So. Exactly. We realized that we could make, make this content out, build it every, build everything out. And while we would have a lot of upfront outlay, we would also be able to, provide something to the community that is very affordable Mm -hmm. and that we could also make money on and that we wouldn't be, you know, gouging people, charging these really large amounts um, or using like my name to like upsell or do any of that type of stuff. Gotcha. Here's the content, you can study it and we make it accessible and easy to use. Nice,
0: so so what so what do you say to someone who's just like, ah, oh, all this math and my God, I have to put 7,000 hours of study before I know everything and it's charts, I mean, like, where's the, where's the fun? I mean, like, there's just, it's so much you have to do to be successful these days. I mean, are there any shortcuts or do you just say to that person, well, you know, that's fine and you can stay a rec player. Like, how do you relate to someone who wants to improve but is just really intimidated by? how difficult it is to improve
1: so that's kind of what lpp is about um mm-hmm. in terms of having easy to digest short content you know we make it just really approachable and affordable and easy and kind of like hold your hand a lot it's not mm-hmm. as close of a shortcut as it's going to get to get someone to the point of being a good winner in low to mid stakes games mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in terms of like being a very good winner in mid six plus and actually competing there's no shortcut there is no magic bullet there's nothing it's just it's hard work and grind and you know rtp is going to make that way more accessible and way more affordable Mm -hmm. and we're going to make that grind a lot easier and cut out a lot of like the learning curve but even with that it still isn't a magic bullet like Mm -hmm. i would say if someone who hasn't really used solvers or haven't looked at pre-flop charts or post-flop charts or anything like that um that you know, if you're using a mixture of RTP and LPP, and then we also, you know, teach you how to use some of like programs like poker tracker and Hold'em Resources Calculator and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a competitive in the mid to high stakes online, we make it possible if you're willing to put in a lot of the work, not just with what we kind of give you and show you, but also what I tell people to do away from the tables in terms of like getting PO2, in terms of running HRC SIMs, in terms of using icm And really to like break into that, you just, you need to be willing to work hard. There is literally nothing around it. Um, But the thing is, is that, yeah, if you just wanna like dabble and be kind of competitive, you don't need to do that much. If you want to, you know, hop in a 55 scoop and be competitive, you know, going through some of the LPP content, learning the RTP ranges, we make it affordable and approachable and quick and easy to do. And then when you run deep in it, you'll feel a lot more comfortable and confident and give yourself the opportunity to have a big score. That's, but if you want to like play full time, no shortcuts. It's just it's hard work. That's
0: totally fair. Sometimes you got to get the bold and honest truth, and yeah. uh, and not to mm-hmm. have any uh, mis- misperceptions there. Okay, yeah. back to Ryan the player. Okay, this past year, live mm-hmm. poker was obviously kind of non-existent, and I imagine it was just sort of back to online for you. Was it? Yeah. Was it easy or tough to make that? uh you know that that switch back and and how did the year go if i could ask
1: um it was definitely very difficult because mm-hmm. i mean obviously it was a very difficult year for everyone you know we all had these types of expectations in terms of what we wanted to do mm-hmm. and what we'd be able to do and you know having gotten used to just doing things like hang out with friends and yeah. <laughs> traveling and going to movies and eating out you know, I I know I live a very privileged life here in Las Vegas and you know I love the city and love all the options and opportunities that it gives you. So just not being able to do that stuff obviously it was really rough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like a little ironically, is right before everything started to really shut down, before we knew how bad everything was going to get, it was like maybe early February with some friends in town. Um, they were like playing some of the series and stuff. And I I was like on a walk with them on the strip, and maybe we're on a dinner break or something like that. And we were mm-hmm. discussing. What number we would need for uh you know to skip the entire year of live grind? Wow! Um, wow. Yeah, we were actually discussing that. This wow. was in February, um, and it was like we we'd heard about you know COVID at the time, but like the USA was way underplayed. it's everything. over there. It's yeah, over there, right? yeah. So and like we kind of thought that things would get a lot worse, but we didn't think that. We thought you know it'd be a flash and go away, and sure. it'd be a bad couple of months maybe. And the number that I'd said, everyone said I was absurd to think that that number was even remotely reasonable. um but honestly, I think I nailed it. like the number that I would need would be obnoxiously high that no no sane person would put down as being you know as as a legit thing. and it's just I love live grant like if if there was like anything that I was like defined to do with my life, it's to play live poker turns. Wow. It's just what I enjoy doing the most by huge, huge, huge margin. Hmm. And, you know, not being able to do that really just sold that to me, that I knew that that's because like when I was playing online and stuff during COVID, you know, obviously I'm very thankful that I, you know, have LPP to bring an in income and being able to grind online. Sure. I knew how fortunate I was to be able to have these, you know, things and these opportunities yet. And I just, I didn't really enjoy it. I like, mm. I played, essentially, I would play Sundays. I played like the WSOP stuff. Um, I went down a weekend or for nearly a week down to Mexico to play the online WSOP GG stuff. And I mean, it didn't help that I was downswinging through a lot of it. Um, yeah, it was a real rough stretch. But nice. like on top of that, I just, at no point was I like, oh yes, I'm glad I'm able to grind online. And, mm. you know, now that things are kind of back, you know, I got my first shot of, uh, like six weeks ago, got my second shot two weeks ago. And starting pretty early in this year, since when numbers started to really redrop here, I played some of the bigger live, just like a couple events here and there. I get a uh, cash at like the
0: WPT Venetian, right?
1: Yeah, cash in the WPT at Venetian, um, played like the 1100 MSPT in like early February. So I was playing when it was still a decent amount of risk, but not having any comorbidities. I knew that while I was taking a chance, that it wasn't, you know, really, really high risk. And of course, very safe and careful as much as I could be. Sure. Um, and even after playing the first live tournament, I was so much happier being able to play the online weekend stuff because I knew that essentially everything was coming to the to its end, quote unquote, at sure. least as far as you know, me being able to play and stuff. And I knew that that I would I assumed that I would have gotten my first shot by like mid April. That was the line that I had set. So getting the shot even earlier was such a wonderful, amazing thing. And, you know, right now, uh, everything's starting to lull a little bit. There's like this Venetian series is ending. Um, Winds ended a, a little while ago and they're about to restart up. And then Venetian had announced that their summer series starts early uh, May. And then Winds going to start then. Excuse me. And then apparently resorts world they're going to open pretty sometime early this summer and they're going to have the largest poker room in vegas 40 tables
0: wow i didn't know yeah. that they can even have a poker room the building yeah. looks gorgeous yeah
1: 40 tables wow On top of that the head of the poker room is going to be the old head of the wind poker room um and he went over to macau and then i think he started the poker room in the boston harbor Win one boston sure. whatever over there um wow and i've I've heard that he's going to want to do some pretty big series off the start. Nice. So So that's, uh, that's promising. Yeah. It makes you pretty happy. So like the next four months is probably going to be one of the biggest summers ever, even though the WSOP isn't going to be there. And then on top of that, we're going to get like a three, four week break. And then it's going to be the biggest fall of poker. Like I think this year in Vegas is going to be the biggest year of live poker ever. Wow. to an absurd degree, like to a very, very, very large degree. I certainly
0: hope you're right, man. Like there's such pent up demand. You know, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm going to be heading there for sure. I plan on spending some time there. I'm sure lots of our members in the cards chat forum are going to be uh, venturing out there for, for weekends, for weeks, you know, it's uh, got to get out there, enjoy yourselves, play. And, and all that money we've been, all that stimulus money got to you know put exactly. it down on the, on the table. Um, so Ryan, I got to ask you that just to sort of, uh, end off here. And I do, I will say, actually, we got in just last minute, a couple questions from yep. uh, our forum members. So I okay. won't ask that. Um, but, you know, we got, I mentioned in the intro, you are an ambassador for us here at yes. Cards Chat. How did you first get introduced to the community? And what do you enjoy being a part of it?
1: So I met Debbie, um, obviously one of the main people at Cards Chat a while ago. I want to say I met her like I don't remember the exact time but I, I'm I'm essentially met card chat through debbie cool. and meeting I mean Debbie's just such a wonderful kind amazing person confirmed <laughs> yeah and being able to work with her at, you know I just knew that'd be such a wonderful thing to do and then as I got more introduced with card chat I just you know being such a, a welcoming engaging community is definitely needed you know some of the other forums like two plus two and pocket fives They were always a lot more for pros and stuff. And they were also always a lot more aggressive of communities in terms of like the level of play and the level of discussion kind of expected. Um, and they weren't always like the most welcoming in terms of, you know, taking on complete new players Mm -hmm. and having a site like cards chat exists. That is very, very welcoming to everyone is definitely a very important and needed thing in the community, especially to players of all skills and abilities. Um, so honestly, that's really the main thing that cards chat really has going for it. And being able to provide that is just such an important thing for the game. And it's important for the long-term health and growth of the industry. Um, so I really like what cards chat has to offer in terms of those aspects. And I just love working with Debbie. So it's a win-win all around for
0: sure. And I hear they have an amazing podcast too. And like a really good looking host, right? (laughs) So um, of the best. There you go. So uh, I will say, you know, Debbie was kind of. She uh, told me that a couple questions came in right at the last minute here from some card stamp members, a little bit specific um, from Red Nom. Thanks so much for Red Nom. How come you decided to play PLO uh, on the WSOP, which you won in 2016? I figured you as a No Limit Hold'em player only.
1: So I first started playing P- Palomar Omaha Hilo really. Back mm-hmm. when, you know, poker by trade days, so back when I was 19. And, you know, getting a lot better at plo made me really start to enjoy PLO. Mm-hmm. And as I improved as a Nolan Holden player, the way I think about Nolan Holden and PLO are kind of similar. Um, the way I think about ranges and how I approach spots and how I think about the tournament theory, it's all very, very, very similar. And I just, I've always really enjoyed it. And, you know, as I have really improved as a Nolan Holden player, getting a lot better at PLO just makes me really appreciate the game so much more as well. And then it's just, it's just a lot of fun. You know, a PLO tournament with an Annie is one of the best things to play.
0: And this was the uh, the PLO losses. So it was like what? Like yeah. how many people were in the tournament? I forgot.
1: Um, it At the time it was the largest non-hold'em tournament ever. And it was like 1900 entries. That's not a few. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a no, lot of PLO hard. players. Um,
0: here's another one. The second one that came in. From Freddie DR87. Thanks so much, Freddie, for sending this one in. Um okay, I'm gonna have to translate this one, I think. In in the S in the so po- polemic hand you shared on Twitter of the WSOP.com where you had full uh kings full of aces. Yep. Uh, oh, you remember? Great. All right. Um so why didn't you five bet shove pre-flop?
1: I don't remember the exact hand. I wish I okay. knew what the exact hand was. And he says, you'd
0: say at the time it was unknown uh, range, you asking him in that hand, or you thought he just four bet you with ace, ace.
1: Oh, so they're probably referencing like a hand that I played a long time ago, where okay. I had like pocket kings or pocket queens pre or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone four bet. A lot of live stuff that I'm playing in, when someone four bets, they tend to just have queens plus, sometimes literally just kings plus. In fact, I, I actually remember a spot that I played a long time ago um, in uh, 1500 at the World Series where I opened queens and someone three bet and got cold call and I just folded queens to the three bet because I just knew the guy just had aces or kings and I wasn't getting set mining odds. And the got gotcha. well, just... And it's like, mm-hmm. sometimes you just know and you know, <laughs> a, lot of times it's, a lot of times it's just like a lot of people just aren't capable of having the types of bluffs that they need. And when they don't then there really isn't a reason to really continue to build the pot, even with the hand as strong as pocket Kings. Um, and when they have mostly Queens, Kings and aces, and maybe a couple of bluffs and maybe Ace King, keeping the range a little wide is going to be a good thing for you. So you don't really need to like, you know, push the action even further as a more simplified way to put it.
0: Cool. Well, when you've got as much uh, experience as Ryan has both playing and Teaching, you're able to remember hands that specific and be able to remember the advice, uh, very, very well earned uh, advice uh, from that experience. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you, Red and Nam, for sending in those questions. Uh, a reminder to everyone in the Cards Chat community: we have a dedicated thread for you to send in your questions yep. once we announce uh, who our guests are going to be. And Ryan has his own AMA, Ask Me Anything thread on the forum. So please be sure to check those out, uh, you know, before our shows. And of course I always say, go back, you know, this is episode number 33, we got 32 other great episodes to listen to. And, you know, go ahead give us a good review and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Ryan, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners?
1: Um, Just stay safe out there, use good bankroll management, you know, try to have fun. Uh, Don't focus on results, focus on good decisions. Yeah, especially in tournament poker, variance kind of is life and you just need to be okay with that. And as you improve and work on your game and put in volume, if you're making good bankroll decisions and good table decisions, results will follow. And if you're focusing on that and having fun and enjoying yourself, then the game will be you know filled with good opportunities and making friends and having fun. And you know maybe you'll be able to get out and play in the World Series and do that type of stuff as well. But if you are too focused on the wrong types of things, focused on things you can't really control, then you're going to have a real rough go of things and it's just going to be a lot more difficult on you. So stay safe out there and play well and make great decisions and best of luck. Solid,
0: solid advice. Ryan, thank you very much. Uh, it's Ryan plant everyone. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Cards Chat podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.